Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark and I'm here with a new guest for the book club, a very warm welcome to Andy Cowburn. Andy, welcome to the book club. It's great to be here. Um, avid listener to the podcast, so it's good to be in the hot seat, so to speak. Yes, it's Volunteers Army, so here you are. Um, so, before we get to today's book that you've chosen, tell us your 2080 origin story as a new member of the book club. What was your sort of first experiences with the prog? So, I think it's a fairly standard story for most people. I mean, I was 10 in 77. Um, I saw the advert on TV, um, immediately was gripped by it, spent two or three weeks just pestering my father um, to order it from the newsagents, and he finally agreed on the proviso that I cancelled my Beano and Dandy. Oh, right. I, believe, I believe at the time they came to about eight or nine pence, so it was a like for like. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me as a kid, I think flesh was the thing that grabbed my attention. Um, dinosaurs, cowboys, science fiction, time travel. Um, that really pulled me in. And I don't know, I'm strange. I didn't really get into Dread till till much later. It, it was other stories that kind of kept me reading. Um, but obviously, like most people, Dread wins you over in the end. Um, but yeah, it was flesh, I think, that, that pulled me in. And then once I'd started, it was like coming home, I think, a lot of people have that experience. It was, this is what comics should be like. Yeah. So you're a prog winner. I am indeed, yeah. And another prog winner. <laughs> <laughs> so many of you <laughs> making me feel bad. And do, have you carried on with 2000 AD over the years? You know, have you had on-off periods or do you stick with it? Yeah, I mean, I, w I won't bore you with details, but I probably, I had it delivered up until probably about 85. Um, I then bought kind of sporadically and I'd, I'd buy like monthlies and things like that. Um, the 90s, let's just say I chose a different <laughs> path and, you know, the 90s were a bit of a write-off. And then in the 2000s, I went to university in my 30s, met my wife, and the next 10, 15 years were really just, you know, catching up, getting a house, mortgage, um, kids. Um, and then it was in the, um, in the lockdown, I discovered, I discovered um, Facebook, really, started going on Facebook, connected with some old friends and just stumbled across the uh, 1977 to 2000 AD and the 2000 AD Megaverse pages. And um, within three or four months, a stack of books. Um, I think I'm about 14 months in. I've probably got about 300 books now. <laughs> right. Um, buying original art and everything. So it's kind of, it. it's rediscovering, but it's also, um, my wife was always telling me to get a hobby. I think she's regretting it now with the, the money that I'm spending. <laughs> but, but yeah, so... And it was just, I think, this community is really welcoming, but at the same time, there's a lot of banter. Um, and it, it's just a really nice place to be, I think, 
when you're talking about places to spend time on social media. Um, and then I've just kind of re reacquainted myself mostly with the Prog stuff, but also a few of the classics, uh, Sandman, Watchmen, um, pretty much almost everything that Alan Moore's written. And then yeah. I got into what's led to tonight's, but I think that's a question for a little bit later. Okay. And the 2000 AD groups on Facebook, the Megaverse and the 1977 to 2000 AD group, the organizers of those are both they're, uh, a, a, a book clubbers as well. So it's nice to find that they're um, being welcoming and bringing new people or bringing people back into the community, which is good. Yeah, I think that's the good thing because, you know, the, when somebody new comes on, they're welcomed. Everybody's, you know, there with suggestions. I mean, you know, I had a handful of people that I would go to and say, right, I've read this. Um, what do I do next? Because I started by buying the stuff that I loved, that I'd already read. But then, you know, I'm in the process now of catching up with everything else. So um, it's been it's been a really nice experience. And, you know, the, you can have a laugh. Um, but in general, it's a really welcoming community. Excellent stuff. And you've mentioned, you've teased us with a book that you discovered on your return to comics. Tell us what we're, we're reading for the book club tonight. So we're going to be reading Elephant Men. I could have chosen any Elephant Men book, really. They're all fantastic, in my opinion. Um, but Armed Forces seemed like the logical choice. It's volume double zero. And according to the new big compendium collections, the Mammoth Collections, it's at the start. It's at the start of Mammoth Book One. Personally, I did it old school. So I read up to volume four of the trades um, and then jumped onto Armed Forces because it wasn't until about issue 30 in the comics that, um, that they did this story arc. Right, because this one, sort of, as you say, this this came after the series had been running for a while. But it's sort of, it gives us, we could almost call it the prequels, the prequel episodes, or the introduction to the world. I guess it is, and I think it's it's also it's the basis for most of the protagonists. It's the basis for for the way they are now. It, it's what it's what kind of shaped them. And most of what they do in the issues that come after is linked to the experiences that they had around this big war. So this is, as you say, Armed Forces, volume double zero of the series, written and lettered by Richard Starkins, who I'm going to be asking you about in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got lots of artists in there. He's perhaps best known for his association with an artist called Moritat. But there's also Boo Cook art in here. Uh, Ladron, Axel Medlin, Gregory yeah, I mean, Wright. I mean, I think um, Ladron was, if you like, the genesis. Because right. He did the he did the hip flask books. Ah, okay. That, that came before Elephant Men, so you know he had a lot to do with the look of the characters. Um, he's also some fantastic art um, in general, um, and then Morita did a lot of this book, um, along with Boo Cook, but there's little bits of Axel Medellin in there as well. Um, the beauty of Elephant Man really is just 
the quality and variety of the art, really. So um, I think probably Moritat does the bulk of this book, but my favourite bits of this book are Boo, Boo right. Cook. So. Okay, well, we'll talk about Boo a little bit later on as well. So this collects the Image Comics um, Elephant Man War Toys issues one to three. Uh, Elephant Man Yvette, I guess that was a one-shot, was it? it? Kind of a mini story arc, really, yeah. Right, and then Elephant Men issues 34 to 35. It's got My digital version's got an introduction by Dan Abnett, and I'm going to say there's loads of back matter. There's loads of sketches and character designs at the back of my version. Um, that, that's Yeah, that's a feature of the books. I mean, it's a shame you've not got a physical copy because the first thing that I noticed when I bought Wounded Animals, the first book, was the sheer weight and size of the books. And that's because right. they're printed onto really good quality card. It's not paper. Um, it, it's like photo quality card um and they are really really nice looking these books but the, as you say the feature of these trade collections is they've always got a really big section of extras at the back and there's lots and lots of good stuff in there to read and and that's the same throughout this first series um what we call the 2259 box right yeah, so, so back matter matters as another book clubber said so it's nice to see plenty of you know additional content in these yeah and you know they'll focus on particular artists you'll see all the pencils um right through to the finished drawing in wounded animals which is issue one you get a whole history of british comics um so you know it's right through all all the british comics and that's probably about 30 pages, and it's really, really informative. Um, obviously, there's a section on 2000 AD in there, but it's got TV 21, all, all those. And as I said, every book has got that big stack of extras at the back. Great stuff. And you, can you remember when you discovered the series or how you were turned on to this series uh, there, Andy? Yeah, very, very reluctantly. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, so... I've got a, a friend who um, first met on Facebook, but we've since met up and everything, uh, Stephen, and he was pestering me for ages. He was saying, you've got to read this book. You've got to read it. I said, well, what is it? And even myself now, when I try and explain to people, the premise doesn't sound great. You know, it, it's big elephants with guns. Um, and, you know, it took me a long time, and then finally I was in a second-hand shop looking for stuff for both me and him, and they had wounded animals, and I thought, right, I'm going to buy it. Um, brought it home, and the next day I was on Amazon and eBay buying the rest of the volumes. Um, so really, I've only been reading Elephant Men probably for about eight months. Um, the first three months, I just totally devoured everything. And then I bored everybody to death on social media, just constantly harping on about how great it was. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the worst type of convert, if you like. I'm a very new convert and I'm full of zeal. So, 
<laughs> okay. Well, you mentioned the premise. Um, you know, elephants and large uh, African creatures with guns. Tell us, give us like the brief outline of the whole series of Elephant Man, and then also particularly what about uh, this one, Armed Forces. Okay. So the the main thing about Elephant Man, I think, is it's about humanity. Um, I think where they've been really clever is they've gone, they've chosen some fairly difficult and deep philosophical topics, but then brought these larger than life hybrids, animals, to kind of illustrate those aspects of, of humanity. And it works really well. So, like every good story, there's an evil scientist who has a god complex. Um, he's basically wanting to develop these, you know, perfect soldiers. And he believes that if he can take the strength and the aggression, the size of these, mainly African, because that's where he sets up his lab, animals, um, and take out all those human things, you know, so like they say that in war, you know, most of the soldiers fire over the heads because they don't really want to kill people and things like that. Um, he wants to take all that away and just create the perfect killing machine. Um, he does this, um, but he does it in a really quite horrible and sadistic way. Um, and he produces all these elephant men. Elephant men refers to them all, but you've got rhinos, hippos, um, camels, hyenas, crocodiles, and what they called warthogs, those big African hogs. Mm. If I've missed any, oh, giraffes. Um, and they're basically all, they're all genetically altered. And you, you find out later in the series that they're actually, they've got things in the brain that supercharges their aggressions circuits in the brain as well and he goes to africa to develop them because africa wants to take over europe it wants all the resources from europe so that's kind of a nice little riff on colonialism um and africa turns turns up in europe and that's where he tries out his elephant men um that leads into um, Armed Forces, the book that we're looking at, because that's basically the story of that big European war. Now, initially, when he first started, I get the impression that Richard really wanted to do something that would be more akin to Blade Runner with some kind of noir detective element to it. And he'd not really thought about the war. He saw the war as kind of just something to explain the tough nature and character of, of these characters he was creating. But through conventions, um, he was going out at the time with Moritat and all of the fans were coming up to the table and asking for drawings of, of the characters in their uniforms and fighting in the war. And I think he came round to the fact that actually, you know, it, it would be really good to have that bit of backstory because the, the wars brought up, brought up so many times through the series. 
Yes. And it's, I mean, if we sort of jump ahead slightly, he sort of, am I right in thinking he created, Richard Starkins created the character Hip Flask in a way to advertise his his comic craft um, lettering company, and then it spins off into a comic of its own? It was exactly that. Yeah. Um, Hip Flask was created so that it could do just like really small little comics, but it could show off all of his fonts and all of his effects and everything using hip flask as the vehicle. Um, and then somebody pointed out to him, well, you know, this could be a really good character. Um, and that led to hip flask. And then from that, the wider elephant man, elephant men universe, if you like. Okay, so let's talk about Richard Starkins for a moment then. Born 1962 in Liverpool, writer, editor, and of course, uh, letterer. Um, I know he starts out doing lettering some future shocks and working on Warrior magazine. He goes on to have quite a career for a while with Marvel UK, I think. Yeah, I mean, he also did Halo Jones. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, he was the letterer on Halo Jones, and most of his future shocks, I think, were with Dave Gibbons. Right. He he was editor of Marvel. He also did um, Batman the Killing Joke with Brian Boland. Yeah. The name um, doesn't get mentioned. And, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, he kind of tells a little anecdote on that, that um, he's the only one who worked on that book whose name's not on it and doesn't get any royalties. Um, but he had the compensation of, of two original pages from Brian. So nice. I think he's probably done all right there. So. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the thing about Richard is everything goes back for him to those British comics and 2000 AD. You know, it's part of his DNA. He was a thought bubble um, and he was posting pictures of him with a massive grin, getting Mick McMahon to do him a dreadhead and everything. He's he's really a fan of of 2000 AD, um, and he's he's used a lot of 2000 AD talent, you know, as guest artists over the years. He has, and I mean. I'll mention he's also done some work on Doctor Who um, comics and magazines. He founded Comic Craft in 1992, and as you say, he then used Hip Flask to uh, sort of as a way to illustrate what he could do with lettering and new fonts, and also with training other letterers. Um, Hip Flask, because I've not read Hip Flask, and that is the sort I'm getting the impression it's a sort of almost a noirish private eye series that he was originally after. Is that right? It is, and it's also it's there's like Ladron does some really beautiful illustrations of um, Doctor Nicken who's the scientist and, and like the process inside MAPO, which is the name of the corporation, um, of developing the elephant men. And there's some really beautiful images, really dark images. Um, and as I say, um, from that came the elephant men. I think there's, there's a couple of collections. There's unnatural selection. And then... Concrete Jungle collects two one shots and kind of is the as the added one of what was supposed to be a third one shot but never came out. So it kind of collects it all 
and and they're the two main ones who that that collect all the hip flask stuff. Right, fantastic. And if we look at this, the armed forces um, stories that he has here, we're sort of, as you say, we've gone back to the beginning. We were in the European War. Um, the elephant men are sort of rampaging across Europe. There's a there's a human resistance. There's one notable figure in the resistance who crops up a lot in these stories. Yeah, so Yvette, who's probably my favourite character, and she comes back at different points later in the series, but she comes back changed, and I won't say any more than that. Yvette, it's interesting because you've got two characters in the book. You've got Hip, Hip Flask, and you've got Yvette, and they're two characters on a similar but reversed arc if you like. So Yvette is kind of descending into that savagery because she's been forced to, you know, in order to resist these monsters that have invaded her. But at the same time, Hip, through contact with Yvette, he's starting to ask kind of philosophical questions that he shouldn't be asking. Um, And it's the, the beginning of Hip kind of, if you like, connecting with his human side um, and and starting to think, well, maybe there's more to life than just killing people for Mapo. So throughout the book, you can see this happening, but it's in its very early stages. Um, but as the story develops over the, the next books, you, you kind of see that their trajectories are still, you know, if you like, Yvette's on a downward arc and Hip's on, a, on an upward arc. You know, he, he falls in love. He's got a conscience. All these things, all these really human characteristic, ca- uh, sorry, characteristics come out in him, and and it it's a really interesting thing to watch. And I think Yvette probably just represents initially all the great innocence of youth and everything, but then she comes to represent all the worst things about about humankind and and what what war can do to people if you like and i've looked at the wikipedia page about elephant men am i right in thinking that in armed forces we also get to see sort of origin stories or you know sort of um how certain characters develop certain um key injuries and so on like that that will crop up later on in the series is that right you do indeed um, and also, uh, one of the main oh no, it's not in this one. The the main one is I think you're thinking of the zebra trench. Yes, he gets that name in here because he makes a massive stand in a trench, single-handedly right. kind of you know fights off these Chinese. I think it is that are attacking them, um, and that's where his name comes from. Most of the characters get the name either from a character um, called Sahara who takes them all in and kind of rehabilitates them after the war or from, I mean, Hip, for example. His is a tattoo and it's basically Hippo Flask number seven. So it's Hip Flask. So that's where his name comes from. Um, But I think... It's more about, in here, um, 
it's where people's hatred or love starts to develop. So you've got characters like Janice Blackthorn, um, who's with the UN forces. Her lover's killed um, by months, as they are called. That's the derogatory term for elephant men, M-U-N-T-S. Um, so she develops a really deep hatred um, for elephant men that she brings back to L.A. after the war. Um, Yvette obviously just goes completely, you know, heart of darkness. Um, and you've got Hip who's slowly coming in the opposite direction. Um, you've got that injury to Trench. I'm just trying to think what other things there are that happen. Maybe maybe that was the one that stuck out to me was uh, the Zebra Trench's yeah. eye injury, which I know is a feature in the later books. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah, you think, mentioned... I'm just going to say, I think that's the main one in here. Most of the other things are just like, they're, ah, that's why she hates elephant men so much, for example, with Janice Blackthorn. So there's a lot of moments where you kind of like, she mentions how she hated them in the war, but this shows you why she hates them to the extent that she does, because her lover gets killed after lending her his helmet. He gets killed by a headshot. So Right. You know, oh, you yes, see, I remember. You can see how how conflicting that makes it because she kind of half blames herself, but to stop hating herself, she throws it all onto the elephant then. So Richard Starkins as a writer, we probably, you know, we might think letter him first pop into our heads, but probably because of this, we should be thinking him predominantly as a writer. Um, you mentioned a sort of noirish theme, the sort of Blade Runner idea, and it's interesting that whenever – in science fiction, we have stories about either androids or hear about sort of human-animal hybrids that the writers can use it to tell us something about the humanity of the characters and also the humanity of the human figures around them. Um, what do you make of Richard as a writer on this series? I think he's a really great storyteller. Um, that's the, the main thing. And the thing that I find rewarding about elephant men is you need to engage the brain um, and you need to put a bit of work in. And I've found myself even today after reading most of the books numerous times, I'll still keep going back because there's little threads that are dropped here, there and everywhere. Um, and he seems to be really good at not, not forgetting where he's dropped those threads and, and picking them up la later down. So, Armed Forces is strange in a way because apart from a couple of interludes, it doesn't really move away from from the war and that setting and, and that timeline. Um, but through the other collections, you'll see it kind of goes off on different arcs within each little run. Um, and I, I think along with the quality of the art and the variety of the art, it's the quality and variety of the little stories that get told. So there's little fairy tales that are thrown in there as a book that's been read to a child. There's Hips, actually the star of his own comic book series within the universe. So you get little hip flask comic books in there. Um, there's also um, um, a, a, that fairy tale is called Captain Stoneheart. And it's really good. And you, when I first read it, I thought, oh, no, what, what's going on? But it's got such a fantastic 
um, what's the word, moral, if you like, to right. it. It's like an old-fashioned, it's like an old-fashioned fairy tale or fable. And then there's also little bits where um, Ebony, the elephant character, um, is imagining himself as a kind of Conan the Barbarian character. Um, so there's all these little bits of left field stuff that's thrown in there. And at first glance, they don't really seem to have anything to do with the storyline. But you'll maybe read on a couple more little bits and you'll think, ah, that's why he did that. So I think his real talent is for for telling stories but also making the most out of all these little threads that he drops. You get some writers who drop threads and then just leave them. I, I think Richard's really good at, at kind of dropping those threads and thinking, I'll remember where I left that. I'm going to pick that up later. And as I say, a lot of the time you'll have to reread these books because they do zip about in, in terms of story arcs, but it's, it's very rewarding. It's, it, it's worthwhile. And you mentioned, of course, that Richard Starkin's deep love of British comics and of 2080 in particular. Um, I'll ask you in a moment about some other 2080 artists he's worked on on the series. But in terms of influences from 2080 on Elephant Man, what do you see uh, on Elephant Man? What do you see coming across from him from British comics? Yeah, so I think there's some pretty obvious ones. So I think he, he, he's got to have had at least somewhere in his subconscious something like Meltdown Man. Yes, um, yeah. There's that great tradition in 2000 AD of, you know, the, the future war story. Um, that's in there, you know, something like Rogue Trooper, Bad Company. Um, those stories are definitely in there. Um, there's also, I think... He's learned little tricks from from lettering those future shocks because, like I say, you'll have these little interludes in the story that are like little future shocks, some of them. Um, so there's that. But there's also, I think, and I don't know if this is a conscious thing, but he's stuck to a timeline. And even though there'll be the odd flashback or whatever, the book's run in order. So, you know, basically Armed Forces is 2239. And I'll tell you a little bit when we're talking about where you buy these books about another way that you can read the story. Um, but there's 2239. There's a huge series of 2259, and it goes to 2260. And the latest, the latest one we're in is 2261. So it's kind of chronologically moving forward. So there's an obvious kind of comparison there with, with how Judge Dredd's been written over the years. Okay, well, let's turn to the artists. You mentioned Ladron doing some of the early work. Uh, Moritat, which is the pen name of Justin Norman, who he's, I think, perhaps most associated with for Elephant Men, but also there's several other 2000 AD alumni that have uh, done internal artwork or covers or both for him. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I just I picked out the ones that I'm absolutely certain have worked on. 2000 AD because the, the, there is a plethora of artists that have worked on these books but I suppose the big one's Brian Bolland um, he's done a few covers you've got Chris Weston again done some cover art you've got Henry Flint on covers again you've got Boo Cook who's done covers and he's he's actually 
you know, done parts in the comic. Uh, David Hine, I think, has just done covers. And you've got Shaky Kane, um, who's done a story arc as well as a couple of covers. And Boo Cook, you mentioned, because obviously Boo Cook's done the cover for this collection that I've got, but he also he does internal art on some of the stories in here. And um, I was really sh- struck by how good his internal artwork is and not quite the sort of bubblegum colours that he's been doing recently in the magazine. Um, mm-hmm. What did you think of Boo's work on Elephant Men? Is he one of your favourite Elephant Men artists? He's probably, yeah, Boo's my favourite. Um, and the, the reason I say that, and it sounds um, sounds paradoxical, but I think Boo gets the most humanity out of not only the hybrid characters, uh, the elephant men, but also out of the humans. I think he's really good um, in conveying that 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 look in the eye, that little pose or way people stand. Um, but also, it's just some fantastic art and some—I mean, some brilliant set pieces. Um, you know, when we get round to to Grail pages, I've probably got you know a couple of dozen of booze that I, I would say, um, along with along with some other people. So yeah, um, I think I think it really hooked me that, and then that sort of made me re-examine some of the stuff that 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 Boo had done. You know in the prog as well. So I think, I think I more associate Boo with elephant men than, than the prog. Right. Um, do you have any Boo Cook sketches at all or of, uh, any of the characters? I am really fortunate. I just oh. dropped really lucky. Um, and Boo was waiting to, I think it was probably the, the Anderson storyline. Um, he was waiting for the script and I'd been chatting to him um, about a charity thing that I was doing on the elephant then. And he just said, Andy, I've got a little bit of spare time if you if you want me to do a piece for you. Um, and he's done me a really nice piece. It's Trench, the character with the eye patch that we were talking about, in a trench, sat in a trench. Um, <laughs> right. So <laughs> and and I think it's beautiful. Um, it's it's one of my favourite pieces that i own uh, and you know he said to me you know that he doesn't do much elephant men anymore um so and richard starkins bought all of the art from the actual books that he did so i'm gonna have one of very few i think you know boo cook elephant men pieces fantastic you're very fortunate mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned that he's probably your favourite art in this particular volume. What about favourite episodes from this first volume or this double zero volume of Armed Forces? Yeah, so more or less the middle section, which Boo does the art for. And it's the little story arc where Yvette's being chased by a whole load of um, elephant men into a church. Um, there's a lot of fighting that ensues and um and it's just really good um there's there's a scene with a mechanoid um it's like a it's like oh a, yes yeah it's yeah. like a, a suit of armor which is which is brilliant but i i just think anything with a vet for me is great um because she's such a relentless <laughs> 
character. Um, there's nothing going to stop her, whether it's luck, fate, whatever it is. She seems to have the jinx over the elephant men. And no matter what they throw at her, she's, she seems to come out on top somehow. Oh, the other thing when you were saying about developing characters and things like that, actually you get the origin of the name Elephant Men in this volume as well. So when they find the, the mechanoid and they're bringing it back, she makes like a throwaway comment, something along the lines of, well, you know, at least I'll be on on par with with the elephant men. And one of the guys says, what, what do you mean elephant men? And she had a brother who was killed um, earlier in the conflict, part of the resistance uh, called Gaston. And she said, well, Gaston um, called them elephant men because he thought that if they were men, they could be defeated. So that's where that, that phrase comes from, and then obviously it's taken on by the wider forces and everything and, and brought back after the war. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking at that page now, um, uh-huh. and it is, it's quite, it's a notable page as well, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. I mean, I think with Boo, I think the problem, I think probably the reason he doesn't want to do any more Elephant Men is because he put his heart and soul into this stuff. Right. Um, and I mean, he really did page after page of of just brilliant art. Um, The the whole stone tiger bit with the Chinese tiger warriors, that whole section is just beautiful as well. So, so yeah, it's kind of middle towards the end from general stone tiger onwards that um, is my favourite part of the book, I think. And is this the perfect place to start for new readers on this double zero volume, or would you do what you did and sort of go in more in the middle of the series where it actually started when Richard was first writing it? I mean, obviously, I don't know because I can't experience it the other way. But for me, I found it, I got more out of it reading those first four volumes because you get a lot of ah moments (laughs) when you do it that way. So you've read all these things, you've heard about all these episodes in the war, um, and then when you pick up armed forces, it's, ah, I see why they say that. I see why she's like that. So I personally found it really rewarding doing it that way. Um, but as I said, when they've put them together in the mammoth collections, um, they start they start with uh, armed forces. So I think it, it, it's the probably the most cost-efficient way if you want to dip your toe in. Um, because you're getting, I think, you know, I don't, I don't know what the cost is if if you're buying it digitally, but you can probably pick the book up for sixteen, seventeen pounds um, new. Right. You can probably get get it a bit cheaper if you go on to uh, eBay and get it secondhand. But for somebody like me, who's in terms of trade collections, I've just not got space for for comics, and I think my wife would finally reach breaking point if I started collecting comics. Um, but for a completist like me, um, they've just recently released, June 21, I think, the first part of 2239 War Toys came out, and it's kind of half of the content of Armed Forces, but there are some extra bits Um 
that are found elsewhere in the series but fit really well into Armed Forces. And there's also one bit that I've not seen anywhere else in the series that ties a really neat bow on a really big um, plot line that's a character called Agathe. Right. And those ones are a... If if you're a completist and you've already got the books, I'd recommend getting them because they're just nice and you get that extra bit of content. But also, they're nice to read these two and get that extra bit of insight if you want to start with this story arc. Um, but they're a bit more expensive. So you, you're looking at around about £18 per book, and they're only available on Amazon. Right. But as you say, there are these big compendium mammoth books, which I can see looking at Amazon. There's three volumes of that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I have to be kind of honest, and I'm honest with anybody who comes on the group and asks me. Uh, Volume one of Mammoth um, tends to, you have to be very, very careful with it, or the weight of the pages, because it's such a big book, it it tends to, the pages come away. Um, so, and I've, I've had that from almost any, everyone I know, they seem to have got more of a grip on volume two and volume three, but just that volume one, for some reason, I don't know whether it's the glue or what it is, but everybody I know's bought Mammoth one, it's come apart. So I bought Mammoth one just cause I'm a completist and I just stuck it on the shelf I've not, I've not, I've not tried to read it. I've just, I've just put it on the shelf. Um, but, um, but yeah. So the mammoth ones are great because you get a lot of book. Well, a lot of books. I think you've got probably first thirty issues of the comic. So you know, probably two or three trade paperbacks in there. Um, for I think you can get the first one for about sixteen pounds ish, and two and three are more up in the mid twenties. Right, um, two and three seem to be fine. It's just there seems to be a problem with the glue. I think right. on number one, um, which is a shame because they're beautiful books, got the same quality of of um, paper and everything, and um, and they are great for somebody who just wants to get stuck in and not have the extra expense of buying book after book after book. Well, if I go back to Armed Forces for a moment, that is available, I think, in paperback still for twenty two ninety nine. Mm-hmm. It's on the Kindle Comixology app for £16. Or if, like me, you've currently got a Kindle Unlimited subscription, you can read it as part of that subscription, which is how I've got it on the iPad at the moment. Um, but as you say, there are lots of other options, trade options for reading on in the series, including the uh, the mammoths. Although oh, be careful with volume one by the yeah, second. I, I think Comicraft did a bit of a deal with Amazon. Um, so twenty two sixty one, for example, didn't come out in a physical book form, and it was all online. But the first three episodes of twenty two sixty one were available free to anybody with Amazon Prime. Uh, um, I'm not sure if that's still the case, but it certainly was until uh, about a month ago was the last time I checked, I think. Um, and I would often say, look, if you just want to get a feel for the art and everything, and you've got an Amazon Prime deal, go on there, just have a flick through the digital copies. And if you like to look at it, then you know, go back. And I always say to people, it's up to you. I give them the pros and cons 
I did it this way. I read the first four and then I jumped onto armed forces or start with armed forces or buy mammoth or, you know, the, do it whichever way you want to do it, basically. But I think it's a perfectly good way to start the series. I, I just get the impression that with my way, you get you get a bit more out of the experience. But that's that's just me. Okay. Well, we'll also talk in a moment about a Facebook group where you can go and get some more advice about the books and the reading order and which collection or which uh, trade collections to buy. Um, before we do that, of course, we've got to play the Grail Page game. And I'm going to give you Grail Pages from this volume and also from all of Elephant Men. What are your picks, Andy? Okay. So from the 20 pieces of paper that are in here. <laughs> Little uh, bookmarks. Yeah. So I was looking through, and it is a nightmare to try and come up with one. I think I settled... On there's the General Stone Tiger arc. Um, just after there's a double spread, which could have been a Grail page of the Big Mechanoid. Yep. And then about three or four pages afterwards, there's three of these Chinese Tiger soldiers, kind of jumping out of the jungle. Yes. And for me, that's just a great image. Um, and like you say, it's much darker in tone than book than Boo's later stuff. Yeah, um, but it's it, it's great art. It's um, and you look at them and you get that kind of is it called animism? Yes. Um, yep. Yeah. Um, so you know you can really see those kind of red army kind of we're going to kill you at all costs. We don't care about us. <laughs> face on those tigers as they jump out but as i said i could have picked loads more i could have picked that big mechanoid i could have picked um yvette lying in the snow um but i think i'm gonna settle on that one okay well that's a boo cook page beautiful page um wonderful perspective as you say three tiger soldiers emerging from the undergrowth the moon behind them it's full of action and animism and colour and, and life. It's just a wonderful page. So we will certainly grant you that one for the Grail Page Gallery, and I'll post that on the socials uh, after this episode comes out in March. Um, what about any of the covers or something from the the whole of the series, um, you know, the, all of the work? It's two pages, both because we're Mega City Book Club 2000 AD artists. One of them, no surprise, is Boo. Right. And it's the cover to 2260 Book 6, which is called The Least, The Lost, and The Last. And it's just a great picture of... In Wounded Animals, the cover, you see this little girl called Savannah. Um, Savannah's actually Richard Starkin's daughter's name. And she strikes up this relationship with Ebony, the elephant one. And you've got this picture of her, because she's in hospital, she's been injured, and you can see the cannula all taped onto her hand, and her hand's resting on this massive elephant man hand. Yeah. And I think it's just a beautiful image. But the one that I went for is the cover of Elephant Man number five, 
Uh, it's by Chris Weston. And I think the tagline on the cover is when animals attack. And right. it's a, it's depicts a scene where a character who later becomes known as the silencer who worked as a guard for Mapo, this corporation, he's been attacked by Ebony again. Um, and he's just going crazy, but the detail, I mean, Chris is Mr. Detail and it, this one's exactly the same. So he's about to stamp on this guy's head who's dripping blood. Um, and you can see the shoes have got Mapo underneath in the tread, <laughs> like the, the corporation name that made them. Um, and there's just all these little details of, I think it's a box car that they're in, that, that they're fighting in. But it's not really clear from that cover. I just know that because I know, I know the story. And it's just such a great picture. And and again, you've got this feeling of kind of Ebony the elephant is letting go of all this frustration because the guy that's tried tried to stop him and kill him is is a guard and he's been set free. Um the UN have come and closed this place down, and all this pent-up frustration is just coming out of him, and you know, he's he's absolutely laying into this guy. Fantastic stuff. Okay, well, we'll put all those images up on the socials and in the Grail page gallery and grant them to you as your uh, virtual ownership. Thank um, you very much. No trouble at all. I'm just going to quickly mention the cover to this collection, Armed Forces. Again, Boo Cook um, doing a sort of homage to the Elvis Costello album cover, Armed Forces, mm-hmm. uh, but this time with elephant men instead of just the elephants. And I'm going to pick that one mm-hmm. um, just as a marvellous uh, piece of work and also an album cover that I really like as well. Yeah, I mean, we all know, well, perhaps I take it for granted, but Boo's a big muso. Yeah. Um, definitely into his music. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you on that one, and I didn't click at first, um, and then it just oh Elvis Costello, and yeah, it is a wonderful image, fantastic stuff. So that's my Grail page, and as I say, go head over to the socials, the Facebooks, the Mastodon, the Instagram, and the 2080 forums to see these images in the week after this episode comes out mm-hmm. to see what we've been talking about, and hopefully uh, whet your appetite for some elephant men. Uh, I'll just mention again, we've got a Dan Abner introduction. We've got loads of back matter sketches and character designs. As you say, Richard packs out the book with lots of extra features, doesn't he? It does indeed. And I I, I think um, he really wants to do it justice for the fans, but I think he also wants to do it justice for these guys that he's worked with over the years that have come to work on his books as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, one thing you're not going to be um, is disappointed with the quality and the content of these books. You might, you know, some people might not like the story, but you'll love the art and you'll love the quality of these books. It's fantastic. Great stuff, Andy. Well, thank you for introducing me to something which was a bit of a blind spot for me. Um, now, if we turn to guest projects, but we're going to stick with Hip Flask and Elephant Man, because if anybody wants mm-hmm. to know more about the series and get reading recommendations from yourself and other fans. You've done the same sort of thing as 1977, 2000 AD. You started a Facebook group. Yeah, I mean, we're much smaller, but we're perfectly formed. 
And um, basically, as I said, um, I was on those other groups and more or less everything that came up, I would slip Elephant Men in there in, in the comments or I'd be posting Elephant Men stuff. Um, and in the end, people got sick of me posting all that stuff. So I thought, right, I'm going to set up my own group. How hard can it be? He said, with hindsight, maybe, yeah. I should have thought a little bit more about it. Um, but it's just one of those things that's a passion project for me. Like I said, I'm a little bit evangelical um, when it comes to elephant men because I think a lot of people, it's a blind spot. They missed it first time round. And like I say, when you're trying to sell the premise to somebody, it sounds crazy. And it's really difficult until you've actually read a book to get your head around the concept. But in my opinion, once you're into the series, the fact that they're elephants or hippos doesn't really matter because the characters are so good. Um, and it's just that old trick of using something that's a, a little bit strange and a little bit other to explore really, you know, solid human concepts. So, yeah, I think, I think if people want to just check out some art, I've done a few little character bios and things like that. Uh, Richard Starkins is a member of the group. Um, he does pop on there from time to time. Um, I've also just, with the help of Richard, um, with his blessing, designed Mudbath, which is the name of our group, Mudbath Friends of the Elephant Men, if you want to look for it on Facebook. I've just designed a T-shirt on there. Um, which I wanted just so that I could represent at conventions and things. Um, but I am kind of advertising on the group that I will post the quote that I get from the printers. And if anybody wants one, they can have it at cost price plus the postage. So um, that's what I'm selling, I suppose, at the moment. But just have a look on there. Have a look at the art. Have a look at... Um, some of the character bios, the timelines and everything. If you find it interesting, join. And if you've got any questions about Elephant Men, just post them on there. If I don't know, somebody will. And look in the show notes for this episode or on the Mega, uh, Mega City Book Club website and you'll find links to the Facebook group, uh, Mudbath. And you're also you're on Instagram. We can see these images as well. If you search for Mudbath Elephant Men, you'll find you on Instagram, I think, as well, Andy. Yeah, the, the Insta doesn't get as much as my time um, as the Facebook group. Um, but at the end of the day on the Facebook, I'm pretty religious about it. And I try to average a post a day if I can, but if not, you know, four or five a week. Um, so I'm always putting new content on. Where in the process, um, Richard Starkins is doing some question and answer videos, questions that I got from the group. Um, I sent the questions and he said it probably best to do it in a video format. So I'll be posting those hopefully in the near future. And like any Facebook group, it's a really nice community, really nice people, and you can have a laugh on there. Excellent stuff. So that's the place to go to get uh these bits of artwork to get reading recommendations advice about the various collections and as i say i'll put a link to it on the website in the show notes so people can find you andy thank you very much for having me 
It's been- well, thank you for giving up your time and coming on to introduce me to Elephant Man and giving me a sort of long overdue chance to talk about Richard Starkins and his great love mm-hmm. of 2008 and British comics. Thank you very much, Andy. You're welcome. I'm available for bar mitzvahs, weddings. I'll talk about Elephant Man till the cows come home. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find all of these links that we've been talking about at megacitybookclub.com. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Mastodon, and the 2080 forums, particularly if you want to see about new episodes and also see the Grail pages we've been talking about. Email me, mcbcpodcast at gmail.com, as Andy did, if you've got a book that you'd like to talk about on the show. And that'll do us. Until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's goodbye from me and... It's goodbye from him. 